Hello and welcome to the MDDDS podcast. This is episode 22 and I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala. And tonight we'll be starting a new series on the topic of apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics is, that's a defense of Christianity. So you can think of it like logical arguments. Uh, Maybe let's think of philosophical questions and maybe the answers that go with that or the arguments that go with that. Uh, One of the questions that we'll be looking at and the one that I'll be discussing tonight is a question of does life matter or does life have meaning if God does not exist? And so without God, does life matter? Now certainly you could say, well, if God doesn't exist, there could still be meaning or there could be purpose to life. But what we're getting at is, is is there true or deep or objective meaning and purpose to life if God does not exist? I think the question and also the answers that exist are extremely thought-provoking. This does not prove the existence of God. That's not what tonight is about. But I think it is a really great mental exercise for anyone who's an atheist, agnostic, or Christian, or Muslim, or really, let's say, all people who are asking deep and thoughtful questions. I'm excited that you've decided to join with us. I hope you stick with us. We are also, I want to say our podcast is now on Spotify. And so if you're a Spotify user, you can find the MDDDS podcast out there on Spotify for free. So let's get started. All right, so I am going to ask this question, and I know it's now March, so maybe this is not as relevant as when I taught this in January, but um, if you remember what your New Year's resolutions were for 2018, does anyone remember what some of yours were? Work out at least three days a week. Work out three days a week, at least three days a week. Have you succeeded in that? Really? Good. Okay. Great job, Ryan Luttrell. Very good. Um, anyone else? That's great. I know David does like, he's got like 17 years resolution, so we'll, we'll let David go at the end. Anyone else? I guess some people just not make any. It's kind of the same way as David. I like multiple plans. Good. Was it from that sheet that we gave out or no? Uh, Combination. Combination. Good. All right. David, you can take credit for that. Anybody else? Yeah. Did you? Good. Yeah. I, I give David the credit. I did it last year and I did it again this year. It's yeah. awesome. It sits mm-hmm. there in my window. So. We've done pretty well. Yeah. My window. Just read it when I'm brushing my teeth. Yep. Twice a day. That's great. Once and a half. Yeah. So how are you doing? So I know, like, for those of you that did, like, I guess, new too, just to kind of, how, how have you done with, with that? Yeah, I mean, it's just March, but so far so good. Yeah. I've done pretty well at some of it. Some of it I've not. Um, I think for most people, New Year's resolutions are not like that thoughtful and don't include faith and family and intentionality. It's typically, and I'm not trying to beat up on you because I think it's it's good to get in shape, but it's typically, I'm going to work out. So you get a lot of people signing up for the gym in January. And by February, most of them don't go back until like beach season or whatever. And then they don't go back until like January again. Uh, or it's to lose weight, but it's kind of like we talked about in January. It's like never says how much weight or how you're going to get there. Um, or it's like something like really general, like I want to be a better person this year. Or I'm going to be nicer to my wife or whatever. Okay. Um, or maybe even things that are even less important than that. Um, so here's a different kind of question. In your opinion, what gives your life meaning and purpose? Is that too hard to answer?
Let me ask it this way. What, what makes you wake up in the morning? What kind of gets you up? So what gets you out of bed is an avoidance of your children. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, to have a minute before their responsibilities. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. I think where a lot of people, what gets you out of bed is you, you got to get to work. You know, obviously, got to get there on time or you're going to get fired. Um, so you guys are a, a unique group. So a lot of your answers are actually like pretty good and pretty objectively valuable. But I think that if you were to ask, let's say a thousand people, uh, maybe like at a football game or something, these same sort of questions. I think some of the answers you get would be maybe not that great, let's say. Uh, but even of the things that we talked about, even of working out, let's say, when you think about it is how many of those resolutions and how many of those things that get you up in the morning or that give your life meaning or purpose will matter after you die? So that's kind of like the deeper question to sort of consider and ponder. Um, now, it's not to say that that just automatically discounts working out, okay, but... Um, Certainly there are things that get us out of bed. Certainly there are things that we really spend a lot of our time and effort thinking about that really don't mean a whole lot after we die. Okay. And then really what we're going to talk about tonight is that's of a room of believers that would say that. Like the, even the things that we prioritize, eh, they probably won't matter after we die. If you don't believe in God, it almost becomes, not almost, it becomes that really nothing matters. Okay. And so I will say up tonight, this is sort of like, if you're really into 90s grunge music, this is the lesson for you, okay? Because we're going to talk about how life really has no meaning and no purpose uh, if God does not exist. So it's a little bit depressing, but I think the reason we bring it up is, is if you're having a conversation with someone who is an atheist, I think this is a really great way to get them to sort of think a little bit more deeply about the conclusion of the way they think, okay? And so if the ends don't justify the means, I think sometimes you have to switch the way you think. All right, so it's been a couple months now, but there is this guy. Does anyone know? And I know you all are probably in class. I'm sorry. You, you've heard this lesson. No? You may have. Okay. There's this guy. <laughs> has anyone heard of Logan Paul? Does that name ring a bell to anyone? Okay. Yeah, I feel like you watch. You must watch a lot of YouTube. Um, <laughs> uh, which is not a bad thing. He's, he's one of the, you know, like, let's say top... 15 most famous YouTubers, okay? So to our generation, it's a little bit outside of the teenage generation, like YouTube's not a big deal, but to that generation, like they're as big as our TV stars or pop stars of the day, like they're, they're huge. And so he's got a lot of followers. You may have seen that, uh, and this was like, as I gave this a couple months ago, this is like just had happened, but um, he has 15 million YouTube subscribers. So uh, he went to this uh, forest in Japan where people commit suicide, okay? They call it like a suicide forest. Isn't that interesting? Um, in that culture, a lot of people commit suicide, okay? And so he found a man hanging on a tree, still in his, like, business suit. His little bag was, like, sitting next to him, who had hung himself, and he filmed it, and he uploaded it. And it was sort of like, you know, as you have this YouTube channel, you're always trying to do shocking things, and he was like, oh, my goodness, you know? 
And then he like kind of started like laughing about it. And people like freaked out on him. Like people were like outraged. I think he ended up losing one of his partnerships with YouTube with a bunch of other people over this whole thing. Um, it was just interesting to me because it was like, why are people outraged about that? Like, uh, why does it really matter? And, and, and the way in which I say that is, is that the same sort of people that are naturalistic or, or materialistic, truly, that think that people came from nothing and that will return nothing, what does it matter that a guy that has 50 million subscribers on YouTube is standing next to a person that really is no different? I mean, one's alive, one's dead, but they're both made up of stardust. I mean, that would be like the mindset of a lot of people. So why should it really matter? I mean, of course it matters because, well, if I got a teenage girl and she's watching this video, whether I don't believe in God or not, I don't want her to commit suicide, so I don't want her to be inspired by this video. Like, I get that. But for me, it was sort of like, why is this that big of a deal if like, I don't know. So. I, I think what we'll kind of find in talking through this is that those of us who don't believe in God, we still want to kind of go up to what we call like the second story of, of reality to grab things like hope and purpose from an existence that's only there if you believe in God. And so if you really only believe in the things as they are, that things are dirt and cells and whatever else, you really can't get true hope or true purpose or true meaning out of life. And there really is no difference. You know, chemically, the only difference is that the one's alive, one's not. Okay, um, so just to kind of get that in your minds. All right, so we're going to do a quick review. This is where your sheet will start. I know David did a little bit of this last week, but we're talking about apologetics in our class. You know, it seemed like some people really got into the apologetics thing. Some people did not, and so we'll talk about this. Is there some people that really latch onto this? It is true that engineers and medical professionals are two of the people they say really uh, react well to this. So this is great. So we're in good company. Um, it comes from the Greek apologia, which means speaking in defense. And so your blank there is apologetics. And it's the religious discipline of defending or attempting to prove the truth of religious doctrines through systematic argumentation and discourse. That's a mouthful. Basically, it just means that we try and use logic and reason to prove things. And a lot of these things are things that we believe in faith. And truthfully, a lot of these are things that we believe because we were raised to believe in them. Okay? So I was with my kids last night. And we were talking about Genesis. David did like a remarkable job doing Genesis 1 through 11 yesterday. And then Eric preached on the cross. I think I was just tired, but I was like super emotional. Like I was like sort of crying at lunch. And I got a nap, so I got that out of my system. But um, and then we had a Bible study. It was really great. But anyway, so I was at, at bedtime. I was like, I had so much that I wanted to tell my kids, you know? And we were going through Genesis, and I was asking Charlie and Libby, but Libby wasn't answering anything. Uh, she knew the first book of the Bible. That was good. I was proud of her. But Charlie like knew a lot of this stuff, but I was just like realizing like he knows this stuff because he's been told it in Sunday school. He's been told it at school. Anna's done a great job teaching him this stuff. Occasionally I have. Um, but he's believing all that in faith. He's taking it on our word. Okay, So he has no like reason behind why he believes that Genesis is talking about a God who exists, right? Um, and so apologetics is the this, this study of, of that, okay? It's to try and prove these sort of things and think through these difficult things. 1 Peter 3.15 is kind of the proof text for why apologetics is a thing. So always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so when we think about people who are trying to defend their faith, sometimes you think of someone that's trying to put people down or prove that they're right in a mean way or in a sort of a condescending way. Let's say, I mean, if I think of it like debate club or something or debate team, like that's not really how we're coming at this. It should always be with, as it says, gentleness and respect, okay? 
um, you're not going to get anywhere if, if you're being mean, okay? And I think also, like, when we start to argue with people, so like if religion gets brought up and someone's questioning what you believe, I think you do get angry and defensive if you don't really know what you believe. So you see that a lot, and you see people that kind of get mad, They're like, well, I just believe what I believe, and leave me alone. It's like, if you really know what you believe, and you really studied it, and you understand the logic behind it, you should be anything, you know, just be calm, and kind of like, let's talk through it, you know, have a reasonable discussion. Ephesians 4.15, along the same lines, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. All right, so speaking the truth in love. And so obviously, a belief in God doesn't mean much if you can't speak it in love. You know, it would kind of defeat the purpose. All right, so along these lines of why are we doing apologetics, um, you guys are here, you probably don't mind study of apologetics. I mean, I don't know. It typically seems to be the case. Um, but there is oftentimes this sort of thing, why are we even doing this? You know, it almost seems that if we were talking about the reason, the rationality of an argument, that it takes away maybe from the faith aspect. And uh, I just I don't think that's true. I think those verses kind of point to that you don't have to just blindly believe everything. Obviously, there's a point where faith has to factor in. Okay, uh, we are not able to physically see Jesus resurrect from the grave, right? Um, and so we have to decide on faith. But as David will do in a few weeks, like there's a lot of good reasons to believe that it happened. Okay, that are reasonable, that are apologetic. Uh, type reason. So, all right, so there's three reasons though for apologetics. Um, the first one, I'll just give you all three blanks and we can talk about them. First one is shaping culture. The second is strengthening believers. There's just some long blanks. And the third is winning unbelievers. All right, so we'll talk about shaping culture first. And I guess I would say just a, like immediately is that when I hear shaping culture, I think of like the culture wars or I think of like this idea of, I don't know, like you see like excessive versions of like a certain type of Christianity that wants to shelter their children from anything of the world. And so you've got like the Christian Netflix and you've got like Christian versions of cartoons and movies and uh you know, there, there is that sort of like, it kind of goes over the top. And a lot of times what you get is you get like a way worse version of the thing that's not the Christian, you know. So um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm also not talking about like, you know what, we're going to shape culture by electing officials that are Christian. And from top down, like, you know, they're going to make sure that Christianity spreads. Like, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? Um, but what I am talking about is, is that if we know what we believe better in our relationships with others, that inevitably is going to have an impact on culture. Uh, in the same way that if Christians all we're about is getting a Republican, you know, into the White House and whatever other little issues that Christians, unfortunately, a lot of times are associated with, but we don't actually love people, we don't actually take care of people, uh, you know, it's not going to mean much. We're not going to shape culture for the better, that's for sure. Um, American culture I have here that it's, it's already become post-Christian, you look at Europe, and America kind of follows it a couple decades behind, but Europe is most certainly post-Christian in the way that the culture thinks. And, uh, you know, the, the countries that are exploding in Christianity are countries like China, okay? Uh, so it's totally different. Uh, but America is kind of moving into this, like, where kind of the general culture would be, and David, I keep pointing to you, David, but you did a great job talking about that, of how in the 50s, it was a very Protestant nation. 
now we are really in a, in a post-Christian nation, okay? Um, and so it'd be ideal if we could take over that culture, take it back to some sense. Not that it was perfect in the 50s, but that should be a goal. And I think apologetics is one way that that can be accomplished. Um, and I have here is that it's never going to happen if the only Christians who are famous or culturally relevant are Christians in name only. Um, or if on the personal level we can't defend what we believe to our friends. And so if when our Christianity gets questioned, which it certainly will become questioned more and more as a culture becomes post-Christian, the best thing we can say is, well, this is what I believe personally, and it's okay that you believe what you believe. That's just not where we need to be. But if we only believe Christianity a little bit, or we only believe it because that's how we are raised, or because it helps us sell more insurance, like, you know, it's not going to shape culture. Okay? All right, so the second one is strengthening believers. I think this is the part of apologetics that we all get, and that when we go to, you know, Christian college and we're learning, you know, deeper Christianity, this is kind of like the mindset of, this is going to make you a stronger believer. This is going to help your faith. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I think that you see the need for apologetics, at least I do, when I look at the youth group. So there's been a lot of studies that were done, I think, by the Barna Group on what percentage of uh, high schoolers, once they go to college, fall out of Christianity, and most of whom never return. It's about 68%. And so that is happening right now. So 68% of kids that are in youth group, they go off to college, they stop being a Christian. And that's super frightening. So for me, the first thing I would say is, well, if that's happening, maybe we're not equipping them enough. And so if they're effectively going off to battle in a spiritual sense, and 68% of them are dying, and I'm the general, I think maybe I should have prepared them better. Maybe I should have equipped them better, right? Uh, and so this is a quote that William Lane Craig has. Is, I think the church is really failing these kids. Rather than provide them training in the defense of Christianity's truth, we focus on emotional worship experiences, felt needs, and entertainment. It's no wonder they become sitting ducks for that teacher or professor who rationally takes aim at their faith. All right, so I would say that apologetics, it doesn't guarantee that your child's going to keep their faith, but can it hurt? You know what I mean? It's like, it can't hurt. So I'll just say to you, none, none of y'all have kids uh, yet. Well, you do. Um, that They don't know who I'm pointing at. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I th- it's on you. It's on you as the parent. And you can't hope that the youth group's going to do it any differently or any better. You can send them to Christian school, and they still may not get it. You know, as we live in a post-culture, sorry, a post-Christian culture, um, when as we as we live in a post-modern culture, where the idea of apologetics of sort of a more modern, sort of more black and white thinking, is that sort of gets pushed to the side, uh, you can't expect that this sort of thing's gonna be taught to your kids. So you, you really have to own that and train up your kids in the way they should grow. Okay. All right. So next thing, the last thing is winning unbelievers. I would say that this would be the one that would probably be viewed. The weakest by most people when we think of apologetics is the idea that you could be evangelical with apologetics. And so William Mary Craig says that he hears all the time, this is his, this is his life, his apologetics, this is what he does all day long. He says that, well, apologetics might help in strengthening believers, but no one comes to Christ through arguments. And I've heard that. That objection is pretty regular when you come up with this sort of stuff. Um, he says it isn't true, but of course, apologetics isn't like a magic spell. It's not like you learn it, and then you share it, and it's like everyone's coming to Jesus. It's not like that. Okay, He says that we should expect that most unbelievers will remain unconvinced by our apologetic arguments, just as most remain unmoved by the preaching of the cross, uh, which is sort of a sad statement, but I think it's a true statement. I think it's 
You know, you can say, well, we really just need to, you know, preach Christ crucified and we'll be fine. You know, we just need to let the Spirit work. Like, you kind of hear those as objections to, like, more ra- rational or logical arguments. Well, we've been trying that for a while, and it, it, it's not like it works 100% of the time either. Okay, so I think it's not to say that you can only have one or the other. They're not mutually uh, exclusive. Um, it also says here is, is that uh, each person created in the image of God is important, and no one knows for sure the cumulative effect of such arguments. And so you tell someone these sort of things at age 17, it may not actually mean something to them until 36. doesn't mean that it's not important. Uh, you know, we've looked at, we've done a series on C.S. Lewis, so obviously his life has mattered a lot, and a large part of his career was apologetics arguments, was you know, deeply theological, philosophical things. Lee Strobel, he's done The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, and all those sort of books. I think Case for God, maybe. Uh, he's had a huge impact. And, and also William Lane Craig, at least in my life, has had a huge impact, and I know David's life as well. Um, so it's, it's been very important. He could have very easily gone on to some other field, just like you know, C.S. Lewis. He could have been like an English teacher and been a great English teacher, you know, but uh, going into this, this, this field has been, meant a lot. Like I said earlier, is it, as he says, usually it's engineers, uh, people in medicine, and lawyers that really react to this. Uh, so that kind of makes sense. I want to show a video, so we're going to get into kind of the meat of all this. Uh, there's like a five minute video that kind of explains all this and does a really good job. And we're going to watch that first. Okay, so we just watched a video. If you want to go find it, and it is a Dr. Craig video, Is There Meaning to Life? All right, so you can go watch that. It's like five minutes long. It's really good. All right, so this is a quote to kind of get us started off. We're going to be on this section called What Difference Does It Make If God Exists? Again, a lot of this stuff is sort of like, for us, a little pointless because we think there's a difference, you know, in whether or not God exists. Uh, or maybe we don't. I don't know. Maybe we just have just always assumed God exists. We never really thought through this. But certainly if you're struggling with the idea of God exists or not, you do need to see if that matters. Okay? It would be very easy to say, well, he doesn't exist. doesn't matter. But it does, in fact, ex- it matters. Okay. All right. So he, uh, William Lane Craig says this. Part of the challenge of getting American people to think about God is that they've become so used to God that they just take him for granted. They never think to ask what the implications would be if God did not exist. As a result, they think that God is irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether God exists or not. What's interesting about this topic and what you see in a lot of these quotes from these really famous atheist philosophers, speakers, authors, is they understand that it matters. Like they understand, like Bertrand Russell's, like our foundation is despair. And, um, you know, Dawkins, probably most famous atheist living today, I mean, all that stuff he says is just bleak. It's miserable. Okay. Now, he wouldn't also say that. You know, you can find purpose and meaning, and you can find joy and happiness. They, you know, everybody wants that. The point is, is you have to live inconsistently. Um, and so I think before someone will listen, especially like a really, you know, uh, confident atheist, before they'll listen to arguments about God, they need to understand that it matters if God exists. I think this is why this typically in the series comes first, because it really helps establish well, why would we even come up with arguments for the existence of God until we actually know if it matters or not, okay? Um, So we're going to be looking at whether it matters if God exists. All right, so as it said in the video, if God does not exist, here's your blank, life is absurd. So I think it's uh, Camus that says that. It's basically there's the absurdity of life, okay? If things come from nothing only to return to nothingness, it's really all sort of pointless, okay? 
Uh, this is also said in, in Ecclesiastes 2.11. It says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so you could say it like this. If there's no God and no life beyond the grave, then life itself has no objective meaning, value, or purpose. All right, so these are three words we're going to spend a lot of time on. And until you study it, I think meaning, value, and purpose sort of sound like synonyms. And if I was really pressing you on, well, tell me the difference in meaning, value, and purpose. Ooh, I don't know. I'd have a hard time until I read it here. You know, it's, it's kind of hard. But there is a unique uh, meaning for each of these. So meaning, that's your first blank. Next will be value. The last will be purpose. Meaning has to do with significance or why something matters. So what gives it significance or why does it matter? Value has to do with good and evil, right and wrong. So David talked about that last week if you were here. And then purpose. Purpose has to do with a goal or a reason for something. All right, so as we go through each of these, we'll be looking at those and we'll kind of remind you what those mean. Um, and so Craig's argument is that if there is no God, then meaning, value, and purpose are ultimately human illusions. They're just in our heads. So that's when we say objective meaning, value, and purpose. It means objectively, like absolutely, it, do, it doesn't exist. Okay, it's an illusion. It's, it's absurd. Um, and then you could say on the contrary, is that if atheism is true, if God does not exist, then life is really objectively meaningless, valueless, and purposeless, uh, despite our subjective beliefs to the contrary. Okay, so we could subjectively say that if there's no God, well, here's my meaning, here's my value, here's my purpose, but it's all subjective. It doesn't mean anything. Um, all right, so can someone explain to me the difference in objective and subjective? What, is it, what does objective mean? It's like a review test from last week. <laughs> well, good. Then you should have the answer. It's true right. whether anybody believes it or not. Yeah. And so subjective, I guess, isn't. <laughs> um, and so I, I think of with objective, there's an, there's an object that exists. So like you think of like a chair. It objectively exists. It's an object. I think of subjective. I think of a subject or a person, and so you can think of this concept existing within their head. Okay, so it's it can kind of go with the wind. You know, it can change depending on who's the subject, right? Uh, but the object exists for sure. Uh, here's another quote uh, that's important. He says it in this video. I think about this point in an argument, if you're having this with someone that doesn't believe in God, they would really react pretty strongly and they'd probably be offended by the idea that you'd be telling them that their life has no meaning or value or purpose. And you start to hear these things of like, I know a lot of great people who are atheists and I know a lot of great people if, if it's a conversation about Islam. I know a lot of really great Muslims or fill in the blank, right? And that's not, what, not what's being said. And so Craig says, I'm not saying that atheists experience life as dull and meaningless, that they have no personal values or that they lead immoral lives, that they have no goals or purpose for living. On the contrary, life would be unbearable and unlivable without such beliefs. If God does not exist, our lives are objectively meaningless again, like we said, and valueless and purposeless. Um, so that's the point. You can have a life of seeming purpose or value or meaning, but when you die, it's gone. So we'll talk about kind of each three of those in turn. Uh, I really like this quote, and i got a lot of quotes in this one, but so be it. It's a guy named Lauren Isley. And he talks about this thing called, you know, man is the cosmic orphan. So I want to read this really quickly. So, man is the cosmic orphan. He's the only creature in the universe who asks why. 
Other animals have instincts to guide them, but man has learned to ask questions. Who am I, man says? Why am I here? Where am I going? Ever since the Enlightenment, when modern man threw off the shackles of religion, he has tried to answer those questions without reference to God. But the answers that came back were not exhilarating, but dark and terrible. You are the accidental byproduct of nature, a result of matter plus time plus chance. There is no reason for your existence. All you face is death. Modern man thought that in throwing off God, he had freed himself from all that stifled and repressed him. Instead, he discovered that in killing God, he had only succeeded in orphaning himself. For if there is no God, then man's life becomes ultimately absurd. It is without ultimate meaning, without ultimate value, without ultimate purpose. Okay. So, if God does not exist, and let's think for a second, uh, what options do we have? So, if you found out tomorrow that God didn't exist, what, you know, what, what options do you feel like you have? Like, what, what would you do differently, <laughs> I guess? So, I think there's like three perspectives. Okay. One is to ignore the question. I think it's probably the most common right. perspective, right? So you say, you don't think about, like, what, what, is the, what are the implications for my worldview? So maybe, you know, maybe I become an atheist because, you know, I can't believe this aspect of religious teaching about whatever. Um, but I think it's rare, the atheist, at least kind of the everyday atheist on the street that you meet, that thinks through what are the implications for my life and its meaning, purpose, and value if God doesn't exist. Hmm. Now, the academic atheist that's writing books and thinking about um, their worldview professionally, I, I think there's kind of general agreement. You know, like, if there's no objective standard for morality, if there's no eternity to uh, differentiate the quality of life that you live, and if there is um, nothing to distinguish good from evil, then life is, is absurd. You could also think, be a, you know, live the reason life, think through the implications of your belief, and say, well, I can't be happy and consistent, so I'll just live inconsistently. Right? I think that's what Kyle was talking about before. Like, we'll kind of live on the, the first story of atheism when it comes up with, but then when, it, when we need to find purpose, meaning, or value, we'll kind of jump up and at least emotionally pretend that it does matter how we live. And then the third option, and uh, I, I don't want to say this like crassly, but um, I, I think it's true. The third option is that life doesn't matter. And so um, some of the famous atheists that in the video like, they committed suicide. I mean, if you, the, the, to, the full implications of, of life, if, if God really doesn't exist, and all we are is kind of stardust destined to, to vanish away in the heat death of the universe, what I do matters no different than what that brick does. Uh, that brick one day will be stardust floating in the expanding universe, and so why? Yeah. So I think the conclusion is it depends on, like, if I were to find out today that there was no God, well, you know, I really love my life, and so I would just continue living it. You know, like, it kind of makes me think about Logan Paul and the guy in the video. Like, Logan Paul's got 15 million viewers. Like, if there's no God, who cares? He's going to go on, like, doing his thing and having followers and being popular and whatever. The guy in the business suit who hung himself in the forest, like, his conclusion is, I hate my life. Like, why am I doing this? I'm just going to end it, you know? 
sure. Well, you summarized my points. All right. I, th I think, no, it's good. That's why I asked it. I, I think, I mean, Dave is kind of cheating in all this, really, so you should probably not answer it. Um, no, I think it's good to think through. I think it's, uh, it's easier to hear kind of thought through than just, like, repeated and wrote. But, I mean, your options are you repress the question, you bury it, you don't ask it, you go on, you're distracted by life, which is, let's be honest, that's where most everyone is. We're not asking these questions. We're not, because they're hard, they're uncomfortable. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's, it's just hard to ask these questions. We don't want to hear the answers. Um, then I think like when you start to think about someone that's actually thought through these things, then you have two options. You can commit suicide. You can say, this is pointless. I don't even want to deal with all this stuff. Um, or if you decide, well, I kind of like life. I'm pretty happy. Then I'm going to be happy, but I'm going to be inconsistent. Um, and so I'm going to be intellectually dishonest. Um, so the other thing with saying is how this video ended is, is that to be clear, proving that life is absurd without God does not prove God whatsoever okay it is very possible that god does not exist and that life is absurd okay this this could be the life that we have um i don't think it is right but uh it's a starting point it's a it's a conversation starter as you as you lead someone down this road all right so we're going to look at three things in turn we're going to look at uh if god does not exist then there's no ultimate meaning no ultimate value no ultimate purpose so no ultimate meaning we'll talk about very quickly again meaning has to do with significance or why something matters uh, I think this is important, and we'll kind of repeat these ideas throughout this process, but we need two things for life to be ultimately significant, and I don't know that I'd really thought about this until it was in this, but we need immortality, that's the first blank, and then the second blank, you may have guessed, because it's a small blank, is God. All right, so now why do we need these two things? Um, well, let's talk about it, okay? And so for each of these things, for meaning, value, and purpose, if we don't have immortality, so if we don't live beyond this life, and if we don't have God that's outside of this reality, uh, then our lives are ultimately don't have meaning, value, or purpose. So with meaning, uh, if we don't have immortality, your life has no ultimate significance and makes no difference to the world's outcome. Right, so we're talking about meaning. We're thinking bigger than ourselves. We're thinking about the universe or existence just in general. Um, if we don't live forever, if we don't outlive the universe, all right, we don't exist beyond the universe, then it doesn't matter. It does not impact the world's outcome. Okay, The world is much bigger than us. The universe is even bigger than that. It doesn't really matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter if Will makes it to 103 and dies. It does not matter. right? If, if the universe is 13 billion years and it's going to live another 10 billion or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and saying like this, if the universe is all there is, and it will, it will someday die, and so will you, then what difference does your life actually make? Okay? All right, so here's a good way of kind of putting this, and it's what this guy says. Look, what if I discovered the cure for cancer? What if I saved a child's life? Doesn't that have meaning? Well, sure, but not if <laughs> it's all going to die. I mean, not if it doesn't matter. Um, so it's like this. The contributions of the scientists to the advance of human knowledge the researches of the doctor to alleviate pain and suffering, the efforts of the diplomat to secure peace in the world, the sacrifices of good people everywhere to better the lot of the human race, all these come to nothing. This is the horror of modern man. Because he ends in nothing, he is nothing. Okay, so then this point at the very end is, if God does not exist, then we don't have immortality. So it's sort of like they are connected, okay? And so if we don't have immortality and we don't live beyond this, then we ultimately have no meaning. Uh, if there's no God, well, then I can guarantee you there's no immortality, okay? 
um, and so then we wouldn't matter. All right, the next one, no ultimate value. This has to do with good and evil, right and wrong. And the blank here is that without immortality, there is no moral accountability. And as such, your moral searches—sorry, moral choices—become inconsequential. All right. So without immortality, there is no moral accountability, and your moral choices become inconsequential. All right. So here's a quote to kind of bring this home: Is that if life ends at the grave, then it makes no ultimate difference whether you live as a Stalin or as a Mother Teresa. Since your destiny is ultimately unrelated to your behavior, you may as well just live as you please. Uh, Dostoevsky says, if there is no immortality, then all things are permitted. Okay, I think that's another conclusion of an atheist that really gets it, is like, I may as well do whatever I want. Now, of course, it's a little bit more complicated than that, because if you do whatever you want, I mean, like, whatever you want, well, you might end up in prison, and that's not fun. Okay, but to a certain extent, whatever you can get away with, I guess, and that feels good, you may as well do it. Of course, that's not the way that we think, and there's some points in that video that kind of uh, highlight that. Um, and this is what you talked about last week, David, is that without God, moral values are subjective. They're just delusions ingrained into us by evolution or social conditioning. It's just a construct that's subjective. Uh, and as such, it's purposeless. Okay, And it's also like, well, 100 years from now, just as 100 years ago, our moral values could be completely different. You know, they're just subjective, okay? And I think we see that. I think we look at 100 years ago, we look at the church, and we're like, what were y'all thinking, you know? And 100 years, they're going to look at us and say the same thing, okay? And so true morality, is, is it's got to be objective or it doesn't mean much. Um, and the morality of an atheist is this. It's this sort of combination of kind of whim and cultural appropriation. All right, the last one is uh, no ultimate purpose. So this has to do, someone's crying, this has to do with a goal or a reason for something. And without immortality, your only destination is extinction and death. Isn't that fun? So ex extinction and death. Okay, so that would be your purpose or your goal. Um, here's a quote. If death stands with open arms at the end of life's trail, then what is the goal of life? Is it all for nothing? Has anyone read uh, The Time Machine by H.G. Wells? Anybody? Have you read The War, uh, War of the Worlds? I've read that one. I've never read The Time Machine. I've seen a movie of The Time Machine from like the 50s or 60s. It's pretty good. Um, I love time travel. I love movies about time travel. But anyway, so The Time Machine. Uh, if you've never seen that, a guy builds a time machine. And yeah, and so he initially goes like way back to like prehistoric times. And he has like a girlfriend and I think it some point he's like made the king and you know there's like oh it's interesting well towards the end of the book he as i would think you'd want to do he, he travels as far in the future as he can just to see like what's happened you know i think if i had a time machine i'd go probably back to certain historical points to see like probably go back and try to see jesus probably try and go back as far as it could go and it's like how did this all start i'd love to watch creation and then i'd probably go to the very end of time just to kind of see you know, um, he goes to the very end of time at the end of the book, and so it says, "Wells, time traveler, journeys far into the future to discover the destiny of man. All he finds is a dead Earth, except for a few lichens and moss, orbiting a gigantic red sun. The only sounds are the rush of the wind and the gentle ripple of the sea. Beyond these lifeless sounds, writes Wells, the world was silent. Silent? It would be hard to convey the stillness of it." All the sounds of man, the bleeding of sheep, the, the cries of birds, the hum of insects, the stir that makes the background of our lives, all that was over. 
And so Wells Time Traveler returned. But to what? Like, what was he returning to? Right? I think this is the realization, and Wells was an atheist. I think this is like anyone that's philosophically consistent and intellectually honest about all this, this is what you would find if God did not exist and you went far into the future. You would see a dying earth, people will have died out, either because they killed each other or because we ran out of oxygen or because the you know glaciers all melted and we drowned or whatever, okay? Uh, and then what would you return back to? I mean, like, what would be the purpose in living, right? Um, and so what's the point in it all? Uh, another quote, and this is, I believe, Nietzsche, is that if God is dead, the man is dead too. Um, all right, so I know all that's really stark and depressing, okay? But that's kind of the point, okay? Um, all right, so here's our conclusion. And then we've said this, and the video did a great job of saying this, is that it is impossible to live consistently and happily with an atheistic worldview. And I want to say this, I don't want an atheist to be unhappy um, any more than I want anyone to be unhappy. Like, um, you know, and I, I think that for most of us, we would cho choose joy or happiness over consistency. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians are inconsistent too, so it's not like we're the only ones that are consistent and happy. But the point is that we have a worldview that allows for it, all right? And uh, just to drive this home, if we, if we live happily as atheists, it's only by inconsistently affirming meaning, value, and purpose for our lives, despite the lack of foundation for them. If we live consistently as atheists, we shall be profoundly unhappy and even in despair because we know that our lives are really meaningless, worthless, and purposeless. Uh, we've alluded to this already, but there's this guy, Francis Schaeffer, and he talks about a two-story universe. I think it's helpful because I, this is like the image that I always think of when I, when I think about an atheist that wants to bring in hope or meaning or purpose or value into their lives in an objective sense. And so I wish I could draw it out on the board, but just kind of imagine a house with two stories, okay? On the first story, you've got the finite world without God. So you've got flowers and trees and people and everything, food, whatever, okay? You've got the natural world, okay? And the second story, I think of it kind of up in the clouds a little bit, um, you've got God, okay? Um, you've got meaning, value, and purpose, okay? So on the first story, life is absurd. On the second story, you have meaning, value, and purpose. Uh, modern man now lives in the lower story because he believes that there is no God. So he can't live where God is, okay, because he has chosen not to. Uh, but he cannot live happily in such an absurd world. Therefore, he continually makes leaps of faith into the upper story to affirm his meaning, value, and purpose, even though he has no right to, since he does not believe in God. So the way I think of it is I always think of somebody that's living in this first story that says there is no second story. Well, I don't believe in it, but yet they still kind of reach up there. They try and go up the stairs to grab something and then come back down and act like it was on the first story. You know, I don't know if that helps you as a metaphor, but I, I think it's helpful. Um, and so obviously biblical Christianity, what we believe, it challenges the worldview of modern man. Um, we don't believe that things end at the grave. We, we do believe both in a God and immortality, which are the two things that are necessary to have objective meaning, value, and purpose. Uh, here are your blanks. Is that biblical Christianity affirms the two conditions sufficient for a meaningful, valuable, and purposeful life, which again is God and immortality. And Christianity also supplies a framework within which we can live consistently and happily. Okay? So I feel like we've hammered the same like six ideas home. Okay, but I think it's important like to understand that. 
Okay, so we'll end with a quote and a Bible verse. The Bible verse is Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. And it said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, and this is the hope for everyone, for those that don't believe. There's a great power in this, and we've been called to it. And so obviously our hope should be and our prayer should be that people think through these questions and come to these conclusions not so they commit suicide or so they live inconsistently or so they bury this, that they're compelled to consider God as a viable option. Okay? All right, and this is the quote from William and Craig to, to, to wrap up, is that, I want to make it clear that I have not yet shown biblical Christianity to be true, but what I have done is clearly spell out the alternatives. If God does not exist, then life is futile. If the God of the Bible does exist, then life is meaningful. Only the second of these two alternatives enables us to, to live happily and consistently, Therefore, it seems to me that even if the evidence for these two options were absolutely equal, a rational person, person ought to choose biblical Christianity. It seems to me positively irrational to prefer death, futility, and destruction to life, meaningfulness, and happiness. As Pascal said, we have nothing to lose and infinity to gain. Okay, so thank you for tuning in. That's it for this week on this topic of... The meaninglessness of life without God. So is there meaning or true or deep or objective meaning? Also value and purpose uh, if God does not exist. We'll move on into some more of our apologetics series next week. We're going to have Dr. Grant Dasher, a dentist, speaking to us. Grant always does a wonderful job. I look forward to having Grant with us. He's going to be speaking on the interaction of faith and science. So as most of us medical and dental students... Talking about faith and science is a super important topic, so I very much look forward to that. After that, we'll move into a couple weeks on some more purely scientific topics, but also some philosophy thrown in, and then we'll wrap up with a lesson on the historical argument for the resurrection of Jesus. Really good stuff. That actually fall about a week after Easter, so that's pretty good timing for that. Um, I hope to see you guys in person sometime. We do meet Monday nights, typically at 7 o'clock. And you can follow us on Facebook at MDDDS. It's the Memphis Doctors and Dentists Discipleship Study. There's also a private forum to be found there. Hope you're having a great week. Hope uh, this month has been going well for you so far. And I hope it gets better. I know there's a lot of medical students that are dealing with match week this week and also studying for step one. Really hope that goes well for you. We will see you next week again. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.